bold and risky. Uh, we're in the final week of our Mighty Men series, and you can start heading back towards 2 Samuel 23 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 23, don't forget next Sunday is our annual I Love America Day. We're going to have a picnic after uh, the 11 o'clock service, so after this service, and everybody's invited to come, bring friends, uh, enjoy some summer fellowship, uh, especially for those who are social distancing, make sure you bring your own lawn chairs for that. We will have availability uh, for some to eat inside as well, uh, depending on the weather. But if you can bring a side and a dessert, that would be wonderful. If you can't, no problem. Uh, also, if you want to play some softball, don't forget your glove. Uh, then July 12th, uh, as Scott mentioned, we have our communion night coming up on July 12th, and there's also a business meeting that night. Uh, and in the morning, as I said a minute ago, we have our projects offering. Let me give you another date uh, that is going to be here before you, but August 1st, and it's a Saturday. We're going to have a church work day uh, for volunteers to help with indoor and outdoor projects. And we're going to have something that's just about everybody's speed, right? So if you know how to use a power drill, we got something for you. If you know how to build a fence, we got that. If you know how to wash a wall, trim a tree, we got all sorts of different stuff. So uh, that day, August 1st, if you can set that aside, uh, and we'll have projects for men and ladies. Okay, 2 Samuel 23. Today we're going to start reading in verse number 20, and we'll read several verses here. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear." These things did Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three, and David set him over his guard. So this guy, Benaiah, has quite a resume. Uh, he slew two lion-like men of Moab, we can assume at the same time. Uh, the Hebrew says that they were called lions of God which was a name uh, in this culture only given to the greatest warriors. And Benaiah took them out. Uh, he also had a battle where he had a stick and the other guy had a spear. He took the other guy's spear and dispatched him with his own weapon. And then there's the curious one that is the title of our message this morning. First uh, Chronicles 11 says that he went down and slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, why... Why would you do that? Yeah, why would you go slay a lion in a pit on a snowy day? Did he do it for sport? Did he just need a thrill? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but first, I want to talk about something that's not stated about any of the other mighty men in David's list. So if you check this out again in verse number 20, it says, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man. So none of the other guys on the list does it talk about the traits of their father, but it talks about Benaiah's dad. He was the son of a valiant man. 
Now, we're going to get into your notes here this morning. If you have a bulletin, they're in your notes, or the notes are in there, uh, or on the YouVersion app. And let's talk first about a father's lasting influence. A father's lasting influence. It says, as we just mentioned, he's the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel. And the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 11 says the same thing. So both scriptural accounts of Aniah's life speak of the valiant example that his father had left to him. And in recording this list of his mightiest soldiers, David made a note uh, about the father of one soldier out of the whole list. One guy, it made a note about his father, reminding us of the repercussions of parenting that are left for generations. And they just keep going out and out and out. Uh, the last couple of days, there's a men and boys camp out uh, down south of Melba, and there was a good handful of guys that went down. I went up Friday evening, and uh, I got there, and Levi Tilford was uh, <clears throat> out there trying to climb uh, a mountain in his truck. If anybody knows Levi, if you can imagine this. And so I'm driving into the site, and I see this truck trying to go up the side of a mountain. And then it comes back down. Levi said later, it's because he saw me, and he wanted to come give me directions. But somebody else said it's because his truck wouldn't make it. So I know it's fighting words. I didn't say it, Levi. The other guy said it. So, uh, but anyway, he said, you got to drive down here like another half mile, but I don't think your car will make it down there. And so just stop wherever, and you can hike in, you know, the rest of the way. It's another half mile hike or whatever. So uh, anyway, I, I figured, well, okay, I'll drive as far as I can. So I had my mini, and so I, uh, <clears throat> I'm going down this road, and all of a sudden, you start seeing these big rocks, like all over in the road. And for a while, like I was, you know, like bridging from rock to rock where I could make it, and, and then it just got really bad. And, and so I uh, tried to go up and around on this bank, and it killed it. And so then I tried it again, and it killed it again. So I backed up as far as I could, and I got out to look around. I'm like, this is no good. I, am an, I have decided to follow Jesus' situation, which means no turning back, no turning back. You guys remember the end of the song, I've decided to follow Jesus? I couldn't go back, and I couldn't go forward. So I uh, got back in, and I put it in first, and I gunned it up that hill. And I made it and slid in there and slid right into the parking lot beside all the four-wheel drive trucks. So, um, so then I, I had to hike in, and Cody had told me that it was a half-mile hike. And so I get to hiking in, and, and I'm like 25 minutes in. I'm like, this is not a half-mile. And then I'm like 35 minutes in. But this is for sure not a half-mile. And it took me like 45 minutes to, to hike, hike in there. And then I got there, and if you've ever been to uh, the little lake Halverson there off the river, it's a neat little lake. And it, it reminded me when you throw a rock in a lake, and you see the little circle, and then you see the next circle and the next circle, the echoes or the repercussions that come from that influence. It's the same thing with parenting. And some of you have been privileged to grow up in a home with a dad who was present, who was vigilant, who was watching out for you. Others haven't had that in in your life, and you've uh, pushed through, and it's been harder for you. 
because uh, having that can, can be a real blessing to a person. And in the United States today, we see so many homes that don't have that influence. And it's a very difficult situation to be in for a family in a society. Uh, but this guy, Jehoiada, is the father of Benaiah. And at First Chronicles 27 uncovers the fact that Jehoiada was actually a Levitical priest. Uh, he was a leader of a group called the Aaronites. And when David became king in Hebron, Jehoiada brought 3,700 warrior priests to back the new monarch. I would have loved to see these guys, warrior priests. I mean, what did they wear? What did they carry, right? Uh, that's pretty cool. 3,700 warrior priests. And, and Benaiah is this guy's son. Influence extends. But unfortunately, negative influence extends just as much as positive influence does. Right? So we all understand this. So positive influence uh, has the ability to extend, but so many times in our lives, negative influence extends as well. And we wonder, well, where did I get this bad habit? You know, and a, a lot of people are taught now in this society to blame it on someone else, right? Where did I get this habit? Well, my dad had this habit, or my mom had this habit. Got to take ownership for it. But I was reading uh, this study that was done. It's a fascinating study. Uh, it's about a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher uh, back in the 1700s. If you've ever heard of the Great Awakening, he was a preacher during the Great Awakening, and the stories about the guy are legend. He stood in a wooden pulpit, like way high up, and he read his sermon. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He read his sermon, and while he read his sermon, a three-hour sermon, by the way, reading the sermon. Can you imagine this? And while he reads it, people are running down into the front of the church, screaming that they want to repent of their sins. Totally different time. But anything, Jonathan Edwards, a respected preacher in his day. He attended Yale when he was 13 years old. Uh, later, he went to become the president of Princeton uh, University, which then it was called Princeton College. He married his wife, Sarah, in 1727. They were blessed with 11 children, so a small Puritan family, right? Um, and every night when he was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child every single night. And uh, you think about what a family could be like if there were no television or internet or social media or uh, Game Cubes or Game Boys or any other video games, right? This is what it was like back then. So he prayed over each child. And uh, Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, they passed on this great godly legacy to their 11 children. Well, about 150 years after he died, so this is the end of the 1800s, uh, this educator named A.E. Winship decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards and his family. So this is 150 years after he died, and his findings are remarkable. Uh, listen to this. His legacy includes this. <clears throat> one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 
13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates out of 1,400 descendants studied. That's pretty remarkable. That's remarkable for any time period, but especially during the 17 and 1800s. So, so how do you explain this? I mean, Edwards is, he's a godly man, he's hardworking, he's intelligent, he's moral. Um, but I like what Winship said. This is a direct quote. He said, much of the capacity and talent, intensity and character of the more than 1,400 of Edwards' family is due to Mrs. Edwards, <laughs> right? How do you know this to be true, right? Whenever a guy has influence, there's usually a woman behind the whole thing, okay? There's usually a mom or a wife. Somebody behind the scenes is actually doing the work. Like Edwards would come home and read with his kids and do all this stuff, but mama was the one there all day, right? Keeping those kids in line and doing what they had to do. Now, there was another study done in 1877, and Richard Dugdale did this study. He was a sociologist in New York. And he did it, uh, the study on a guy named Max Jukes, uh, because in the New York prison system, the last name Jukes kept showing up. In fact, there were 42 men in the New York prison system that were traced back to one guy in his family. He lives about the same time as Jonathan Edwards. And uh, listen to his descendants. They did a study on 1,100 of his descendants. Uh, seven murderers, convicted murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers or people who uh, were indigent, 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the descendants studied, 300 died prematurely. And I think these two different studies, and what a contrast in legacies. Uh, YWAM, years ago, I think they were the ones who wrote about this first, but they're a, a youth with a mission. Uh, they came up with this quote, and they talked about a five-generation rule. They said how a parent raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, influences not only their children, but the four generations to follow, either for good or evil. And so it's a challenging thought. Uh, if somebody studies your descendants four generations later, what would you want them to discover? You want the Edwards legacy or the Jukes legacy? And Benaiah's father left him a legacy to follow. All right, you guys ready to talk about the lion in the pit on the snowy day? Uh, let's talk about that. Second thing, the fierce lion in the pit. And I, I got to wondering about this. Why, why does David let us know that it was a snowy day? Well, what's so important about it being a snowy day? Right? In fact, uh, if you're going to go out of your way to fight a lion, why do we even need to know well, there was a pit there? Right? Why do we got to know the weather? Well, think about it. Winter makes savage beasts even more savage, unless they're asleep, right? 
Uh, food is harder to find. So appetites are sharp. The cattle stragglers that they usually feed on from the countryside are more likely to be protected in barns or fences. Most historians believe that this particular lion was also a great societal threat. All right, so Barnes writes that this lion had apparently taken up residence in a local tank or cistern and was terrorizing the inhabitants of the village. So kids go out, can't go out to play, nobody can go to school, people don't want to go down to the, the mailbox, people don't want to go anywhere because there's a lion roaming the paths of their village. And we don't know for certain all the background for this event, uh, but I am hoping that God is going to make this video available for us in the checkout in the Heavenly Library, right? Do you guys have some videos you'd like to check out from the Heavenly Library? I have a few that are on my list that I'd like to see. How did that one go down? I mean, that's, that's crazy, but this is one of them. Uh, now, if you do a scripture study on lions, and it is a great word, word study to do. Lions are mentioned almost 120 times in the Bible. Like 119, something like that. First time in Genesis 49, last time in Revelation 13. So from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last book of the Bible, there are lions. And there are lions in Scripture with negative connotations, like the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But there are also lions with positive connotations. Uh, Messiah is prophesied as the lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, or God roaring like a lion in Hosea 11. And so you've got to consider the context of the passage. Uh, you can't just assume that lions are figuratively bad or figuratively good. Uh, but in this case, Benaiah is clearly in a struggle with a bad lion, a menace, a threat, uh, one that's seeking to destroy the people of this village. And, and to this... Uh, I believe we can relate because we all have things that we know up front are enemies, right? We, we know there are enemies. How many of you could easily be convinced that every snake in the world is your enemy? Okay, you could easily be convinced of that. How many of you are like friendly with snakes? Like you've had a pet snake before? Okay, everybody else is looking at you like, what in the world? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. It's uh, I was coming uh, out of camp Saturday morning, and uh, I had, I, I am not a camper. Like, that's the first time I had, like, camp camped for many years. Uh, so I had my Samsonite travel backpack. It's the only backpack I had. And a black backpack, no camo, you know, no bar across the bottom. So I, I'm hiking out, and uh, a couple of the guys took paracord and, like, uh, roped everything to my little backpack so that I could just go out. So I, I'm going out, and uh, I'm going down this trail, and all of a sudden, I see something move, and I look, and it looks like it's a rattlesnake, right, with its head back, uh, about to, you know, try to get me. And uh, so I, I look again. I've got my sunglasses on, so I can't see very good. And I look again, and it's actually... Uh, just a snake with a rat in its mouth, okay? But it was an optical illusion. But I, I could easily be convinced that any snake I see is against me, 
Right? I could be convinced of that. How many of you could be convinced that like any spider you see may just possibly be against you? Like there's no reason for its existence, right? Or a mosquito or, or a lion, right? If you're out and about and there's a lion there, how many are like, you know what? I think I'll just go up and pet it. No, you're out of there. You're like, I, I don't want anything to do with the lion. I, I get that it's my enemy. Now, when we go into the scriptural list of enemies of God, uh, the enemies of God are obviously opposed to us finding and doing God's will for our lives. We don't have to wonder if God's enemies want good or bad for us. Jesus warned that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then he said, but I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And you can know up front that the lions of wickedness do not have your best interests in mind. They're out for your destruction. And, and Scripture clearly defines some of these enemies. Uh, Satan is undeniably an enemy of the believer. Uh, the system of this world in 1 John is said to be at enmity with God. Uh, believe it or not, your own flesh, your carnal mind is set in Romans 8 to be the enemy of God. And, and so maybe you've heard the expression, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that they're out to get you. But don't just value that as an overused cliche. It's not just an expression, it's for real. Uh, people who are believers, uh, a lot of times are more afraid of a snake and a spider than they are of the actual enemies of God. And we, in our lives, sometimes we're willing to allow them to remain, and we kind of even get cozy with them, because we're not too worried about, oh, I've heard about the world and the flesh and the devil, but that doesn't really affect my life. And the minute you think that you have no real enemies in your pursuit of God is the minute you can be knocked off course. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, Wherefore, let any man that think if he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And most of the time when Christians tell you that they don't ever sense any spiritual opposition, it's likely because the enemy already has them right where he wants them. Sitting at ease in carnality on the sidelines which is where I really feel like these villagers were on that snowy day, right? You can hear them, the villagers. Oh, I heard there's a lion in our cistern. I wonder who's going to take care of that, right? It's not really my problem, kind of like at your house, right? Look out, oh, one of our sprinklers is broken. I wonder who's going to take care of that, right? How many of you know who's going to take care of it at your house, right? Or... Uh, Oh, there's some weeds out in the flower bed. I know who's going to take care of that. At our house, the answer to that one is mom, okay? <laughs> the sprinkler one is dad. And, but what happens if you're at a house where people look out the window and say, oh, there's something out there. I wonder who's going to take care of that. And nobody answers, right? Then that house has problems. That house begins to run down. Everything starts to fall apart because nobody takes responsibility it's not really my problem. I'm not going to go after a lion on my own. Are you crazy? 
I can go find water somewhere else, and you can just hear all the expressions that were given by the brave people of the village. But then, for whatever reason, Benaiah showed up. Maybe he lived nearby. Maybe he was just passing through. And as a valiant man, he'd gone through a lot of these crunch time confrontations. Clearly, he was, number three, facing a life or death situation. Facing a life or death situation. Okay, if you're going to fight a lion, like out in the open, where there's some brush to maybe hide in, or maybe there's a tree to climb, that'd be one thing, okay? But if you're going to drop into a pit knowing the lion's in there, that is called a life or death situation. I think we all understand this. Uh, Apparently, according to Jewish traditions, Benaiah risked his own life to save the lives of villagers when he could have easily just gone to get water at the next town. And and so it doesn't seem like this was just a thrill seeker doing a death-defying halo jump off a bridge or somebody bungee jumping over the Grand Canyon. Or or who's the guy that tight ropes over all those crazy things? Uh, Nick, Nick Valinda. That's it. He, he did tightrope across a part of the Grand Canyon. Did anybody see this? You saw this? Okay. And then he did it over a volcano, like a live volcano. That's crazy. Right? There's, what's the advantage of this? So this isn't somebody uh, down in Louisiana wrestling a crocodile just to get more social media hits. Right? It, this seems that this uh, was a man risking his life so that the lion couldn't maim anybody else. And when you think of it like this, who in history went out of his way, as in going from the throne room of God to enter humanity in a smelly stable type of out of his way, to come and face down the king of the earthly jungle, Satan himself, and defeat death once for all? Who came unto his own but his own received him not. And yet, he still sacrificed himself for them and gave them the gift of eternal life. He gave them entrance into the family of God, where whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And Jesus won the war so that we can win the battle. He offers us victory through the promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I know that that it's easy to despair, especially if you watch the news all day, right? If all you do is watch the news and read news websites, there are all sorts of problems going on in our world, all sorts. A guy handed me an article this morning. Chuck, he always gives me articles. And uh, the headline was, 106 people killed by lightning strikes this week in one state in India. There's a monsoon and all these farmers are out in their fields, 106 people got killed by lightning in one state in India. And what's the rest of the world worried about? Things that maybe aren't so important. And there's all this stuff going on. And, and if your eyes are on this earth and everything around us here, you won't have much hope. But if your eyes are on the Savior who defeated the lion you'll have victory and constant joy. Because 
We, we might lose a battle now and then, but we've already won the war. Uh, things may seem like they're hopeless on this earth, but I read the back of the book, we win. Uh, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, he's the Most High God. Uh, I love the promise in Revelation 20. It says, The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Our warrior has defeated the fierce lion. But there are a lot of Christians who live like he hasn't. Right? There, there are a lot of Christians who live like this is all there is. No joy, no purpose. There are billions of people who haven't even heard that Jesus has defeated death and offered us the gift of eternal life. They don't know that Jesus went into the pit for them. And, and we've been commissioned by our Creator to go and tell them the good news. We've been commanded to share what Jesus has done. The opposite of faith is not just doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. See, faith means that I trust in the lion defeater, the grave conqueror, enough to do what he says, right? It, real faith obeys what God tells us. Uh, a faith in name only never obeys what God tells us. And doubt uh, is not even the description of that. That's called disobedience. And in Benaiah's story, uh, he goes into the pit on a snowy day and defeats the lion to save the villagers. Now, as we go back to his story, there's a part of his story that you may not know. So, back in 2 Samuel 23, we see this part, faithful with lingering impact. Okay, here's the guy who was faithful with lingering impact. And when you read through 2 Samuel 23, here's what you find out. Benaiah had been fighting alongside David since before he ever became king. He's one of the three mighty men who had broken through the Philistine garrison uh, to bring David a drink from the Bethlehem well. We talked about that two weeks ago, the best water in the world. And his loyalty had remained strong through the entire reign of David. So he's been a friend and supporter of David for over 40 years. When other friends and companions had abandoned David during the Absalom rebellion, Benaiah had stayed. Now, I want you to move a couple pages to your right from 2 Samuel 23 to 1 Kings chapter 1. King David is on his deathbed. He can't stay warm. They've actually brought in uh, somebody, a, a woman, to lay beside him to try to keep his body warm so he doesn't die. He only has hours to live. And I, I want you to look who he calls, who he sends for. 1 Kings 1, verse number 32. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and... Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, that's our guy, and they came before the king, okay? So, uh, just before he dies, this is one of the three people he, he brings in, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. What does he say? 
He says, take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Now, I want you to look at what Benaiah has to do with this in verse 36. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. The Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. And when you really think about that phrase, it's so profound. He says, God, I really like what the king says. Would you make that to actually be your will too? Now, this may be a little bit in reverse order. We're actually supposed to go to God first, find out his will, and then live out his will. But he says, listen, I really like what David's saying about Solomon. God, could you make that your will too? And he said, as the Lord hath been with my Lord, the king, even so be he with Solomon. Make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. So here's our guy Benaiah, been serving with the king for over 40 years, and he's rewarded for his service. He becomes Solomon's chief captain. Okay, during the most successful kingdom in all of human history during Solomon's reign, Benaiah is the chief captain. The man who had faithfully guarded David would now faithfully guard his son. The man who had been impacted by the valiant example of his father would go on to leave a legacy of his own. Remember this, we said at the beginning that influence extends. And and Benaiah was not only a mighty man, leader of the army during Solomon's time, uh, we find out in Chronicles that he was also a chief priest, like his father had been before him, like his son would be after him. It can be difficult if you're studying Jehoiadas and Benaiahs in Bible history, uh, because there are several people who have those same names. But when you look at them, they were always heroes of the priesthood. They were always faithful men who produced more faithful children after them. And that's exactly what we've been called to do. We have been called to serve God faithfully and to influence other people to do the same. Uh, It's like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And we influence people who will influence other people who will influence other people. If we're active believers, if we're in discipleship, if we're growing in the Lord. But you know, if we're not doing any of those things, we just sit on the sidelines and watch the Benayas do them. And that's what most Christians do. They sit it out on the sidelines and never influence anybody for God. And when that happens, inadvertently, we're actually influencing future generations against God. There's no middle ground. We're either influencing people for God or it's the opposite. But we don't think that. We think, well, I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting here watching what's going on. Actually, when you're sitting there watching go- what's going on, 
you are making yourself into the enemy of God's kingdom. Because God has a purpose for each of us to influence people for His kingdom, and it's bigger than us. God's kingdom, it goes beyond our generation. It goes beyond one type of human history in one location. His kingdom is eternal, and He lets us be a part. Consider what Paul said about David. It's one of my favorite verses in Acts 13. He said, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers. Did you catch that? David died after what? After he had served his own generation by the will of God. That's what Benaiah did. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. This is the basic calling of every believer, to serve our own generation by the will of God and then to fall asleep. That's what God's called us to do. And that brings us to today's faith challenge. To be a mighty soldier in God's army, you must take the risks others won't take. Knowing that God is in charge of the end results, other people may not step up to take on the challenge, but it could be that God's calling you, and He has providentially placed you in a situation where you can make maximum impact for His glory, just like Benaiah did when he was there on the day when the lion was in a snowy pit. Benaiah was able to influence generations after him because he stepped up when God gave him an opportunity. And God may be giving you an opportunity to step up. He's got a plan for your life. Remember this. Real faith always ends with obedience. It does. Real faith always ends with obedience. Otherwise, it's faith in name only. And it may sound good on Sunday morning. It may sound good when you're with your Christian friends. But faith that doesn't obey is not real faith. Faith that doesn't obey is against everything that God stands for. It's against everything Jesus died for. And when we really believe that Jesus came to this earth, was born, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again to claim our victory forever, and we live that out, that's faith. That's what God's called us to do. That's what Benaiah did. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the folks that we've met in this series. And some of them are obscure names that aren't mentioned a whole lot in Scripture and in history, but we've learned many traits for our lives that we could use to follow you. And so I pray that you would make us mighty men and mighty women, soldiers in God's army who take seriously the calling that you've placed upon our lives, and that, that we would take seriously that, that the calling you've given us is the highest calling we have. It's higher than the call of any of our earthly family or of our occupation or of our hobbies or anything we do on this earth. So I pray that you would help us to step forward and serve this generation by the will of God and see what you do as a result. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. Bless us now as we go from this place, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.